Mark chapter 1. If you have that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Mark chapter 1. I uh, started last week with Mark, did an introduction, read, read, uh, read one verse, and uh, I promised to read more than that. We needed to have an idea, where's Mark coming from? So now we got that, let, let us go right to the text. We can get to uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let me begin in verse 1. <clears throat> the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all, all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to our hearts, draw us close, restore once again the joy of salvation, push back the darkness of depression, remove that which has made us anxious, heal our hearts, forgive our sins, remind us of our status of sons and daughters, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Every year when the new year rolls around, I try to set a few goals for myself. I'll put, put them in categories. Try to set goals, for instance, um, mental, mentally, physically, spiritually. Set them vocationally as a pastor. I want to get better. Uh, set them for my family. Set goals. And want, want to improve, want to develop for the glory of God. Maybe you do that. Maybe you call it New Year's resolution. Maybe you want to eat better or lose some weight or get in shape or watch less TV or read more. Or maybe it's, um, maybe you want more time with the family. Maybe you want to stop being so sarcastic. Maybe you got saved and your mouth didn't follow suit and you need, to, need your mouth to get better. Maybe you, uh, maybe you drink too much. Maybe you have a negative attitude. Maybe you want to save some money. Whatever they are. We start the new year with some goals, <clears throat> with the hopes of getting better. It's going to be a better year. We are two weeks in, and it is already a struggle. One of the things I wanted to do for the month of January was to eat an apple a day. Now, I don't eat very well. I don't like fruits, and I don't like vegetables. I eat like a, like a middle schooler. I eat like a toddler, really. But I started eating these apples. We found uh, something called a red and delicious apple. The apple is red. It is not delicious. <laughs> Leather on the outside, soft on the inside. It's terrible. So someone said and brought to me a different kind of apple called a honey crisp apple. Yeah. 
So you've had a Honeycrisp apple. The problem with a Honeycrisp is that it is bigger. It's a bigger apple, which is more problem. I gotta eat more apple. So cut it up and uh, put it in peanut butter, which of course ruins the peanut butter. You can see <laughs> what kind of struggle Maybe you've had that kind of struggle with whatever it is you're trying to do this year. And to get through that, we need something outside of ourselves. You live in the United States, so you don't actually hear this much, but you are not made to be independent. You were created by a good God who created you in His image so that you might be dependent on this good Creator. And, and the beauty of the gospel is, thanks be to God, He has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And this passage right here, the book of Mark, but especially this passage as we get started, this passage is here to... To, to give us hope and to set our course. And if you can take it, if you can take it, your perpetual failure can stop today. Here, I want you to agree with the Apostle Paul when he writes to the church at Philippi, and he says to the church there in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Has he started a work in you? Has he started a work in your life? If so, what needs to happen? What do you need to start doing? Or, or what do you need to quit doing in order to bring that good work into completion? Whatever it is, here's a thesis, whatever it is, we need God to get us through this new year. We need God. You need, you need God to get you through this new year. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's look at the four things. I got four of them, just four points uh, they'll go progressively. We'll start in verse 1. Here's the first one. Number 1, we need a good beginning. A good beginning. I won't spend much time there because we spent the whole sermon there last time. But you see how it opens up. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's talk that through. Got to get headed in the right direction. How are we going to do that? Well, number 1, we need to be clear. We need to be clear on the gospel, the beginning of the gospel. We need to have a good grasp of what it actually means. We talk about gospel preaching and gospel churches and gospel activities and gospel ministry. What we don't spend enough time on is actually describing what is the gospel. There are times when I'll go and hear a preacher preach at a church and hear him talk about the gospel, but not actually explain what is the gospel. When we say gospel, what do you mean? Well, we mean just what I said, that God is a good and holy creator who created you in His image. Created me in His image. One of the great things you can be, let's just say you're not even a Christian. You have dignity because you were created in the image of God. But the image of God in you is not what it once was. It has been poisoned. 
been poisoned, been disfigured by sin, our own sin. Sin that we can trace all the way back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. That sin is uh, one way to talk about it is brokenness. One way to talk about it is shame. A, a biblical way to talk about it is sin is an offense against the holy God. If God is the judge, then sinners are criminals in the court of heaven. And we stand to be condemned. Now that is bad news, and you find that all through the Old Testament. That is bad news, but to understand how good the good news is, we need to see what the bad news is. The bad news is that we are condemned by our own sin to go to hell. But God in His goodness, here's the gospel, God in His goodness has given us Jesus, the first Adam, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the first Adam lost it all for us. There had to be another human, a second Adam. This second Adam is Jesus, the God-man. It's important we see that as the perfect man, he lived perfectly in perfect fellowship with a holy God because he was holy. He lived as the perfect man and he did so not as our guide, not as someone we follow or look to or listen to. He did that as our substitute. That's why he had to be a man. And as our substitute, he not only lived in our place, he also would receive the just penalty for sin in our place. Now here's where it gets important. At the cross, this is what happens at the cross. Jesus goes to the cross and is willingly nailed to the cross. The cross in that time was the punishment for a crime. Nailed to the cross in the place of sinners so that the wrath of God due us is poured out on Jesus. People ask, is the God you believe in a wrathful God? Yes. He emptied that wrath on Jesus. Jesus takes the wrath of God in the place of anyone who believes. Now you might say, how do you know it works? Jesus not only took the wrath of God, He then was buried. You know the story, this is Easter story, this is why we have church on Sunday. Buried and three days later by the power of God and a celebration of victory, God raised Him from the dead. This is why we as Christians, we bury people and they die. It's a Christian thing to go to a funeral and mourn death because death come, came about because of sin. But the resurrection is the promise. There is this great victory. And, and the promise of the gospel is that anyone who believes in what Jesus has done in your place will be saved. We need to be clear. Let's start this year off and be clear on the gospel. Not only that, though, when you look at verse 1, we also, we also need to be serious about sin. The Bible says in verse 1, it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. Why do I say serious about sin? Because the angel told Joseph and Matthew, name the child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came, he was known as the friend of sinners. One of the things that Christians need to do, it helps us live lives that are honoring to God, is to actually take it very Seriously, our, our own is what I'm talking about mostly, our own personal sin. And when you come to grips with the fact that it took so much grace to save you, you're, you're a lot less harsh on other people because you realize your own sin. We, we start the year off with a good beginning, clear on the gospel, serious about sin, and devoted to lordship. The Bible says in verse 1, it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that word Christ is anointed one, reaches back into the Old Testament. It translates the word Messiah. 
It is the, one, it is the picture of the one called Lord. It is good for us to remember how important it is for professing Christians to actually live that out. It should not be any made-up category called nominal Christians. Because a nominal Christian is actually not a Christian at all. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus who died in our place. Christ who is Lord. We ought to be devoted to lordship. We also, as we begin this year, we need a, a good beginning. We need to be committed to worship. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What a great picture. It's not just a teacher or a leader or one we follow. Here is God of very God, as the old Cree would say. Here's the one who deserves our worship. Look, if you aren't convinced of that, you know, the, the, Sundays fell, the Sundays fell weird this year during the holidays. You're a preacher, you watch all of this. So Christmas Day was a Sunday, and then New Year's Day was a Sunday. It won't happen again until 2033. When you're in the ministry, you look forward to those things. I have to fool with it for a while. And uh, there are, unbelievably to me, there were churches that didn't have church on Christmas Day or New Year's Day. It, it is beyond, it's not time for us to talk about it here, beyond my comprehension. We traveled always on Christmas to go see Connie's mom and dad, but because of the way the Sundays fell, we came back early, and I wasn't preaching that Sunday, and Dr. Kyler Smith was preaching that Sunday. And I showed up to church. We had one service here at 10, one at 11 o'clock at our um, Harris campus. And uh, one of the things that I thought, Kyler did such a great job expositing the Bible, Psalm 46, it was good for my soul to be there and listen to worship and sit, and I should do that more. One of the things I thought was, I mean, church started at 11. It's 10 here. You've got, you have to make a conscious decision to not. Like, I, I was up for hours thinking about it. Like, why do we have church so late? <laughs> I thought, you, you have to make a conscious decision. Let's, um... I'm preaching to the choir, here you are, but let's start with this, let's start with this conscious decision of having a good beginning, being clear on the gospel and serious about sin and devoted to lordship and committed to worship. We need a good beginning, but that's not all we need. Let's drop into verses 2 and 3. Second thing you'll notice is that we need a strong foundation. A strong foundation. So verse 1 is sort of a preamble. It's kind of like the title. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's sort of the title of the book of Mark. And then when you drop down to verses 2 and 3, what you have there is a sort of Bible mashup. When you read it, now the way Mark introduces it is the prophet Isaiah says. In verse 2, you see that? As it is written in Isaiah the prophet. But then notice what he does. You look at your copy and I'll just, just talk about it. Verse 2, here's what he says. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. That comes from Exodus 23, verse 20. And then the, the second part of verse 2, Who will prepare your way? That comes from Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1. And then in verse 3, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. That comes from Isaiah 40, verse 3. Now, Let's just keep looking at those two verses. <clears throat> Several things going on here. 
I'd just like, I'd just like to point out a couple of them. One is, this is a reminder. Mark is quoting ancient passages. This is a reminder that the gospel of Jesus Christ has always been in the long thoughts of God. This has always been His plan. I mean, He reaches, it starts with the last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi, and you start going backwards from Malachi. You run into Isaiah. You get to the history books. You see in the Kings, where David is the picture of, of Christ. You see in the history books. You reach over into Joshua, and there Joshua, even his name is the same as Jesus. From Joshua, you ride over to Moses. Moses becomes the picture of leading his people out. After Exodus, which we quoted here, you go into, I mean, Genesis chapter 48 is, is Judah. Jesus would be the lion of the tribe of Judah. Keep pressing through Genesis, a picture in Genesis 22 and then Genesis 12 and God calls Abraham all the way down to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 when in the midst of the curse, God says that the seed of the woman would one day crush the head of the serpent. W.A. Criswell would say that there is a scarlet thread that runs through the whole Bible. It's a good reminder that the gospel of Jesus has always been in the long thoughts of God. There's something else here that uh, his quotation of these three Old Testament passages should remind us. I didn't know how, I didn't know how else to say it. <clears throat> and that is a, a high, a high Christology. Christology. Christ, C-H-R-I-S-T-ology. O-L-O-G-Y. Ology. It's a study of. A high, a low Christology would say Jesus is a man, great teacher, worthy of you, to follow. A high Christology would say Jesus is God. And what he's doing here in verse 2 and 3, he quotes passages from the Old Testament in Exodus. What Exodus is talking about is a messenger coming before God. What Malachi is talking about is a messenger that comes before God. What Isaiah is talking about in verse 3 is a messenger before God. So what Mark is saying, if you take all those passages in their context, he brings them here, what Mark is saying is those passages are talking about John the Baptist as the messenger and Jesus as God come to earth. This passage gives us a high Christology. This passage speaks to the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. The authority of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture. Something to build your life on. You talk about the authority of the Bible. What do I mean by that? Is the Bible, the Bible saturates and guides. Kyler started our service reading the Bible, saying that we live by this book. The Bible restrains us. The Bible defines who we are. It feeds our souls. In the Bible, we actually hear God speak, pointing us to Jesus. The authority of the Bible. Do you live your life? Paul's not asked. Do you live your life under the authority of the Bible? The attitude you take each day, is, is that attitude saturated by and guided by the Bible? Do you complain? Are you a complainer? 
Bible tells us the story of God's people complaining in the wilderness and standing under judgment. Is your heart grateful for big things and small things? Are you willing to thank God and continue to thank God? Are you quick to forgive people? The Bible tells us we look at the grace of God given to us in Jesus. We don't have the right to not forgive. Your understanding of, of sexuality, of what it looks like, because, because the way things are in our culture, we more and more have to be informed. What does the Bible say about being a man, being a woman? What does that mean? Being created in the image of God as a woman or being created in the image of God as a man? What about truthfulness, speaking truth or stewardship, giving? Are you living your life under the authority of the Bible? But not just authority. We also speak of the sufficiency of the Bible. That the Bible is sufficient, that it is, a, it is enough to feed our souls and ease our minds and heal our emotions and direct our hearts and to give purpose to our lives, to, to inform our faith. Brothers and sisters, we need a good beginning. That is the gospel. We need that. But we also need a strong foundation. Would you today commit? I wonder if you would commit today to, to brick by brick start building your life on the authority and the sufficiency of the Scripture. You know, to do that, you, you need a good translation. I would recommend something other than the King James. It's accurate. It's just hard to read. I would recommend the ESV or the, the NIV or the New American Standard or the CSB. If I was too fast, email me something. I'll give you the translations of what I think of them. You need to set up a good plan. What is the plan? Maybe a reading plan to begin. Maybe you fell off the wagon just in two weeks and let's, let's get back on. You need to set a time in your life where you're the least likely to be disturbed. Now, if you're if you got kids, it may be hard to find that time, but we just find some. Least likely time to be disturbed. You need to ask God to help you. You need to build in some accountability, some brothers or sisters that will help you and, and keep you accountable. Why? Because we need God to get us through the year. We need a good start, and we need a strong foundation. Let me give you something else to consider. We'll get to the man himself, John the Baptist. Here's the third thing. We need a counter cultural approach. Counter-cultural. Is there any, has there ever been another person more counter-cultural than John the Baptist? Verse 4, Mark writes, John appeared. It's interesting that he starts the, he starts the narrative like that because Peter, when he stood up in Acts chapter 10, Peter began his sermon like this, when John appeared. That's why we think that Peter probably informed Mark. Look at some of the few details. Let's read verses 4, 5, and 6. Let's look at a few details about John and why he was so counter-cultural. Verse 4. John appeared. Look what he's doing. Baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all, John, uh, Mark tells us all. Now that's probably like you and I saying, yeah, everybody was there. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, here's the bio. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust 
wild honey. Let's talk about him. The, the prevailing word that describes this man named John is the baptizer. He was baptizing, verse 4. Baptizing would be completely radical and unique. There were other ritual washings, Jewish. If you were a Gentile, you want to worship with the Jews, you had to undergo a ritual washing. You go out to the uh, close to where the Dead Sea Scrolls are found, the Qumran Society. There are some Essenes out there. They would have uh, ritual washing. You would walk down into a bath and maybe walk back out to symbolize some sort of purity. That's not what John was doing. John was putting people underwater, pulling them back up as a sign of repentance. This was not even Christian baptizing. He was setting the stage. We'll find out more next week when Jesus is baptized. And the Bible says in verse 4 that he was baptizing and it was a baptism of repentance. See the word? It's an unpopular word in Christian circles. It should not be because it is the key to salvation. Repentance. What is repentance? An absolute radical repudiating, a turning away from sin, saying the same thing about sin that God says and that you hate it. Do you know that the best, the best preparation of the gospel, the best preparation for Jesus to come is to preach about sin and turning from it. There's another key element there is uh, the word wilderness. Do you not wonder why the wilderness? Why is he out in the wilderness? You've got something to say, you want to preach, go where the crowds are. The wilderness would be 20 miles from Judea and Jerusalem. Now it's all downhill in the desert going down there, but to get back out of there, you got to walk back up thousands of feet to get back home. What were the people doing out there in the wilderness? Why the wilderness? The wilderness plays a, an important role in the storyline of the Bible when you read it. Look, you think you're in a wilderness? It's not all bad. It was in the wilderness where Moses saw the burning bush and God spoke to him and called him. It was in the wilderness that God took His people out of the slavery of Egypt and guided them in the wilderness. There in the wilderness, He fed them manna and quail. It was in the wilderness where God gave His people the Ten Commandments, the law of God. In the wilderness, God met His prophets in the wilderness. When Elijah had gotten to the end of himself, Elijah was... Elijah, the prophet, was ministered to by the ravens in the wilderness. Jesus, the Lord Jesus, went into the wilderness to be tempted and to defeat the demons in the wilderness. Sometimes God takes you to the wilderness, sanctify His children, discipline His children in the wilderness. What's the, uh, what's the effect? Go me there, verse 5. Look at the effect. Read verse 5. <clears throat> and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem. Again, everybody was there. This is Mark giving us a picture. All the country of Judea and all Jerusalem, they were going out to him. They were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now this is totally inconvenient and totally worth it. And it's always like that where the gospel is being preached. We are reminded and reassured that this John is a prophet. Look at his biography in verse 6. See what the text says? 
John was clothed with camel's hair. No wonder he preached so hard. He had a bad itch. Camel's hair and wore a leather belt. Look at his diet. This is, this is the exact description, by the way, of Elijah back in 2 Kings. So he had a camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts. That's grasshoppers. Ate locusts and wild honey. Now this ain't even the maker's diet. This is John the Baptist's diet. I bet John the Baptist wouldn't turn up away a red delicious apple. Here's John the Baptist, completely countercultural. This is what it means to follow the way of Christ. Look, we live in a world that is, you see the acceleration. So here we are under the authority and sufficiency of the scripture. We've been called to be countercultural. That means we think differently about what the world says about sex. We say something different. The world says about money, we say something different. What the world says about justice, we see it differently because of the Bible. Politics, because of the Bible. The way the world would define masculinity, we're counter-cult. The way the, the way the world would define femininity, biblical, God-honoring femininity, we're counter-culture. The way the world would define and what they would call education, it's going to become, it's going to become increasingly difficult for Christian families to actually put their children in government-sponsored schools. It'll be harder and harder. Just be, because, you, because of how you're, how you're guided. It's going it's to determine how we live in our neighborhoods, how we understand ministry, what we do for recreation, how we see when life begins, when does life end. There is a growing radical nature to our Christianity, but it's not because we have changed. We're holding on to the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Trevin Wax, what he called radical orthodoxy, the thrill of orthodoxy. But it's because there is this increasing acceleration and intensity of the downward spiral of our world. And we live in a nation that does not fear God. And to flourish, in, to, to flourish as a Christian, we can't be passive. We need a good beginning. It's the gospel. We, we need a strong foundation. It's the Bible. We need a counter-cultural approach that is coming outside in the wilderness. I'll give you one last one. And we'll call it a day. Number four. What do we need? We need a radical focus on Jesus. Radical focus on. Look at look what he's preaching in verse 7 and 8. There he is out there in the wilderness preaching, and I want you to see how radically focused on Jesus his message is. John preached, verse 7, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Three things. The status of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus, and the power of Jesus. Let's look at the supremacy first. Verse 7. After me comes one who is mightier than I. You think I have power? And he did because the things that he said, the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. I mean, he, was a, he was a hard preacher. He did have power. But notice what he says in verse 7. After me, there's one coming. 
10 billion times mightier than I. In fact, in John 3, when, when people are going to follow Jesus, John the Baptist says, He must increase. In fact, it's a good personal motto. He must increase, I must decrease. See the supremacy of Jesus, but not just that. Verse 7 shows us the status of Jesus. See what it says? Here, here's slave language, by the way. He says of Jesus, verse 7, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now, stooping down and untying the strap of a sandal is what a slave did. And listen to the language. What did John say? I'm not worthy to be that man's slave. The humility to see Christ as the Savior King and to know that He loves you. One last one. Look at the power. Look how he describes the power of Jesus. I have baptized you with water, John says. This one coming... He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All I can do, John says, is, is all I can do is cleanse you on the outside. There's one coming that has real power. He can transform you. He can cleanse you on the inside. Look now, being baptized with the Holy Spirit... What does that speak of? That, that speaks of the regenerative power of salvation. What happens when you put your faith in Jesus? What happens when you become a Christian? This is, this is not some reference to an ecstatic, an ecstatic post-conversion experience that you would see in the modern charismatic movement. That is not baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at the moment of salvation. What a beautiful metaphor John the Baptist gives us. He says, I baptize you with water, and if you're baptized in water, you are completely saturated and soaking wet. Your hair is messed up. You are completely wet. He says, I baptize you like that. There's one coming when Christ comes. There's a salvation that saturates every part of who you are. It'll permeate everything. All the insides. Baptism with the Holy Spirit is God permeating every part of who you are so that when Jesus is Lord, He is truly Lord of all. Amen. John the Baptist gives us a radical focus on Jesus. I'll end today with those questions. Have you, have you made a good beginning in the year? Maybe you had a false start. Today's a good day to, to start a beginning. Maybe it's that you now understand the gospel, you want to become a Christian. Maybe it's you see the authority and sufficiency of the Bible. You want to commit to the Lord today to read God's Word and grow as a believer. Do you have a strong foundation? Have you built that foundation? A right view of Jesus as Lord of all? A commitment to be a person? of the book? Are you counter culture or like the culture? How are you different? How do you intend to be different? And is your life radically focused 
on Jesus. Look, we, we need God to get us through this next year. And that journey can start today. Would you join me as we pray together with your heads bowed this morning? We're going to sing another song. And as we do, this song is a song of response. It's an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. You may want to come forward and pray with the pastor. They'll be down here, down front. It may be that you're not comfortable with that, but you would like to have a conversation with someone. After church, when everything's over, our pastors are in the lobby, and we, we live to have these kind of conversations. What does it mean to give your life to Christ? What kind of commitment do you need to make? What Bible translation to read? How can you find accountability? Those questions can be answered today so that we walk into this new year receiving good help from a God who loves us. Father, as we close out our service, or at least this part, we pray that you would be close. God, I, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people and strengthen them for the journey. Father, I pray for those that are here wondering where they fit, that today might be a clarifying day, receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you'd build homes. I pray that you build men and women that love the gospel right here at Hickory Grove. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand please as we sing together?